to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, I am Daria Brown, and this week I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Michelle Kong, the co-founder of the largest nonprofit organization on sensory accessibility and acceptance, Culture City with a K, and Culture City board member, Daniel Platzman, who is the drummer of the very popular band, Imagine Dragons. I always wanted to be a drummer, but so far I've only mastered air drumming. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Exactly. We are here to talk about this incredible organization that makes the nevers possible by creating sensory accessibility and inclusion for those with invisible disabilities, including autism. In just seven short years, they've managed to inspire thousands of volunteers across the United States and internationally to make large sporting events and other venues uh, sensory inclusive certified. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Greetings. And thank you, Daniel, for taking the time to promote these causes. I know for a very busy rock star in the middle of promoting a new album, we know your schedule is jam-packed and it really says a lot that you care enough about this cause to do this podcast. So on behalf of me and my listeners, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, especially uh, in, the, uh, in the heat of uh, a thick density of being forced to talk about myself all the time. It's really nice to, uh, <laughs> to, to be talking about something that is... Uh, you know, philanthropic and uh, not just about uh, ourselves. <laughs> thank you. And, and also thank you to you, Dr. Kong, for taking time out of your busy day in your medical practice. I'll point out that there is a Canadian connection. Am ah. I right? You and your husband, co-founder, Dr. Julian Maha, both went to med school in Calgary? Oh, yes. Yep. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. It's Alberta, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, love the mountains and the Rockies and Lake Louise. Uh, missing it just as uh, we speak about them. My husband was born in Calgary, oh, and wow. I I know that the fans in Alberta will be hoping you schedule an Alberta date on your tour, Daniel. No pressure. <laughs> oh yeah, we have lots of love for Alberta. A lot of good memories. I'm sure we'll so, be back. Just as an aside, before we get into Culture City, I'll just say that Daniel's mother is a rock star in her own right, a wonderful colleague and really a mentor of mine. I know we'll likely have some new viewers for this podcast. So just to let them know, Affect Autism is really about promoting the same things that Culture City promotes, instilling a feeling of safety, acceptance and inclusion. And we do it through a model or approach called DIR Floor Time, which stands for Developmental, that is meeting a child or individual where they are at in that moment, not putting demands on them they can't handle. The I for individual differences, which absolutely includes sensory sensitivities, and R for relationship-based, which is how all humans develop through warm and nurturing relationships with those they can trust. And we use affect to instill a sense of safety to create positive, playful interactions and joyful shared experiences together. So Daniel's mother being a clinical psychologist and the clinical director of the training site for DIR Floor Time, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, where I facilitate a free weekly online parent support group that everyone's welcome to attend. I imagine that Daniel, you were set early on from having an awareness around sensory sensitivities. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're looping back a little. You're absolutely right. My mom's a total rock star. Um, and uh, growing up, uh, you know, hearing about sensory issues from a young age and, uh, you know, kind of being aware of it definitely gave me a unique perspective 
uh, on uh, joining Culture City. And um, I, I myself uh, have obsessive compulsive disorder, which I know is, is not uh, on the spectrum, but it definitely comes with its own batch of sensory uh, uh, processing disorders. And, you know, there are certain sounds or textures or things that are, you know, definitely will set me off and hearing more and more about uh, sensory issues. It was like, okay, there is something about this I can definitely relate to. Having a child with autism, my instincts were wondering what happened, where it came from. And the more I've spoken with your mother, Daniel, I've realized that I have a lot of OCD and anxiety traits, really not knowing why you felt different growing up or why you're so particular about things that other people aren't particular about really makes a big difference when you understand it all and educate. So I think that's one of the most important things about what you guys do with Culture City is just that not just awareness, but then taking it a step further to acceptance and including everybody. Let's go to you, Dr. Kong. What sparked the creation of Culture City? Because I, I watched the videos that your husband did um, about a couple of unfortunate incidences at a museum and at the hairdressers. And I was wondering if these negative experiences were pivotal in creating the idea for Culture City or if it was something you guys had in your head before that? No, um, I think absolutely. You know, we were, you know, so I'm an ICU doctor and Julian is an ER doc. And so, you know, we know about autism and we engage with patients with autism and Down syndrome and um, any other sort of invisible disability. But truly, I think for us, it wasn't until Abram was born and was diagnosed with autism and all the challenges that we had to kind of go through and navigate life with him that our eyes really were open to how our world is not well suited for them because of the lack of understanding of who they are, why they do what they do, and not just the knowledge, but how they can actually truly accept and include them. Um, you know, I think back to those uh, stories that you were alluding to, you know, the haircut at the barber store being one of them. I mean, these were all sentinel events because these were ones where you know, that was the day that I would go with Abram. And, and you know, as a parent with a child with um, a unique challenge, you're nervous to go out to begin with, right? Because you're like, okay, this and this is going to happen. How can I make it as perfect as can be? I intentionally pick a day when there was nobody there, the, the parking lot was empty, and it was midday, you know, called the hairdresser beforehand. She knew we were coming. We talked about all the strategies. And we went there and we were, I was still apprehensive because, you know, of all the different experiences that we've had. And when somebody just, and then, and he was actually doing pretty well, all things considering, you know, he was getting his hair cut, but he was vocalizing because Abram is not speaking. Um, and so, but he vocalizes and makes certain sounds that to me mean something, but to somebody else may not mean anything because they don't understand him. And to have somebody come from the corner and grab him and say, why are you so naughty? Why are you doing this? I mean, that really struck me. I mean, to the core of my heart as a being and as a mom. And, you know, we had so many of these instances where we just realized, you know, unless we do something, our kids and individuals with invisible disability will be invisible. I mean, literally in, in that sense of the word and they will never truly be able to be included in our society they will never be able to come see plus play and miss out on their favorite band and music because they don't know how to and the people around them are not aware of what other things that they can do and so all these little events actually not little all these 
big event <laughs> to me, uh, you know, really led to this idea of something has to change. It has to be a culture shift. It's not enough just changing one person's mind. It's good. One person is good. Two person is good. But it really needed to be the culture of a society where it had to shift so that they would then understand why this was so necessary and why this mission was so important. So let's get into what Culture City does. Um, and so um, the fundamentals of it is that, you know, we're all about inclusion, right? And so how do we promote inclusion? We realize the first big step is understanding and for people to know what it means to be excluded. What does it, because if you think back before, uh, for someone who does, has never heard of this before, they don't understand sensory uh, processing difficulties. Unless you have somebody in your family who has it and so you know it firsthand, as someone else, you may not, because you don't see it, you don't understand it. And so our first step is training and education, not just of like uh, individuals, but of uh, public venues, of like museums, of zoos, of schools, of airports, you know, any front facing people that provide service that is necessary for these families and individuals to be able to come to these things, whether it's a concert or whether it's a sporting event, you know, whatever it is. So the first step is really about the education and the training. And then with that, we also provide them with the tools. So like the sensory bags, which has the headphones, the fidget tools and, and all of that. But ultimately always the mission of how do we equip them to have the understanding and the skills to be inclusive of everyone. And I just want to show from your website that this is amazing. This is the map of where all of the sensory inclusive venues are. And um, it's it's hard to see here, but I zoomed into Toronto has one, the Rogers Center where the Toronto Blue Jays play. And so um, it's really, really incredible. This is the Culture City website for those listening on audio, culturecity.org, culture with a K. And it, it really is amazing that not only have you had all these volunteers on board and, and had all these venues certified as sens sensory inclusive, but look at all the board members and the, the powerful names and people and uh, who, you know, people recognize famous people like Daniel, who we have with us today, who are, there he is, <laughs> who are on the board. And so I, I just wanted, and there's your husband, Dr. Julian Maha, the, the co-founder. So I, I just wanted to ask you, Daniel, what does it mean to you and why is it so important to the band to be part of Culture City? Well, uh, we, we touched a little on like personally what it means to me, like with my mother being who she is and uh, you know, such a rock star and uh, just, just hearing, being aware of these things ahead of time made Culture City something I already wanted to be a part of. But then on top of that, being in a touring band that goes to venues, hearing that one in six people have an invisible disability and might be missing out and, and you know, not going to an Imagine Dragons concert because they don't feel safe, that hits close to home. And um, uh, it, it goes so much deeper than that because if there's a family of eight and one family member has an invisible disability and they don't feel safe there, that, that entire family is not going to go. Um, so to me, it was like, oh my goodness, there could be so many people out there that want to come to a show but can't and we need, we need to do something about this um and um going back a little bit my favorite thing about culture city 
is that the onus is not placed on the individual with the ind invisible disability. The onus is placed on us, on society, to, to be better and to rise to the occasion to include everyone. That is such a good point. Uh, with, with the typical therapy that's provided for, for autistic kids and, and just in general with people who have exceptional needs, it always seems to be about the child and you know the child needs therapy. We need to fix the child and all of this. And now we're learning with the autistic self-advocates that it, the neurodiversity movement is coming alive. And this is just, a, you know, different ways of being. We're all unique. We need to respect all of these differences. So I love that you brought up that point. And also in your video for Culture City on that web page I just showed, you mentioned that uh, as an example, if whatever it is, um, whether it's a difference, a sensory difference or other things that affects a child and a family, it really does affect the, the entire family. It's not just about that one person. And, and it's such an important point. So thank you. Um, one thing I thought was really cool, and I, I imagine, Daniel, you've had this experience at your shows, is that on the Culture City website, I saw you have a sensory activation vehicle, or S-A-V-E, that makes events accessible. And it when there's not a space to put a room to have sensory-friendly rooms, and maybe you both can describe a little bit about those, there's this vehicle that comes up and it's the sensory room. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the, a lot of times what we realize is that sometimes you just need a minute or two minutes, right? I mean, you truly are enjoying the music and, you know, the concert, for instance, and let's say it just becomes a little bit overwhelming, you know, whether it's, it's too loud, you know, whatever it is that's triggering you off. Before, prior to Culture City and prior to having kind of escape mechanisms like this, what Daniel, you said is exactly it, right? So the, the, the person is having a dysregulated moment, needs to leave, the whole, whole crew will have to leave. You can't just let that person go. I mean, everybody then leaves, right? But having something like the safe, uh, which is a essentially an, a space that is quiet and inside there, there is you know, noise, you can wear your noise canceling headphone, but it's also uh, designed in such a way that it's just quieter, there's uh, bubble walls, there's like bubble tubes, there's, you know, it's just a quiet space that you can go to, decompress, regulate yourself back, and then you can go back out to enjoy the concert, you know, it's designed like that, so that you could just go away for however long you need, and then go back to whatever the activity that uh, you're doing. We're actually uh, going to be very soon rolling out uh, something similar to the safe, but a little bit different in that it's going to be much more portable and uh, accessible for uh, concerts. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be super cool. Awesome. Daniel, I'd love to hear your experiences with the, with, you know, if you've heard things from your fans about using the rooms and. Oh yeah. I mean, a um, couple things, you know, it was, it was extremely illuminating to me early on when I joined Culture City, there was a story about a family that went to a hockey game. And um, being from Atlanta, I mean, we don't have the Thrashers anymore. I think they became the Winnipeg Jets and then won a championship. That's neither here nor there. Whenever they would score a goal in the Atlanta Thrashers arena back in the day, a giant fake bird in the sky would shoot fire out of its mouth and a loud siren would blare and the strobe lights would hit, right? So hearing that somebody, it's like a family went to a hockey game and they scored like three goals in the first four minutes. And, and there was an individual with an invisible dis disability that went into like, you know, a, a, a meltdown and needed 
a, a few minutes to gather themselves. And um, because there was Culture City training there, the staff identified that an individual was having a crisis, helped them to the exit, or not to the exit, but to exit the arena and go to a quieter, not strobe lit place with fire and heat, um, collect themselves and then come back in. Re-entry is a big part of the Culture City training too, because sometimes the staff will say, well, there's no re-entry. It's like, no, 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 we have to leave for a second. <laughs> um, so uh, in, in the best case scenario, the arena or the venue or whatever, in this case, a hockey arena, had a sensory room so they could go into the room, gather themselves. But going back to these sensory vehicles, sometimes you're at an outdoor venue. Sometimes there is no inside. So the sensory, uh, the, the mobile sensory room is really awesome. I believe uh, we, we even got one out to uh, my bandmate, Dan Reynolds, is uh, Festival Love Loud because they made the festival sensory inclusive. They, they got Culture City involved. And then we got, a, we got one of those mobile vehicles there. And we got so many people telling us that that vehicle made all the difference in the world about being able to attend and not attend. And the whole family had a great time. And so, I mean, just reading those stories um, and testimonials, you know, really tells me we're, we're onto something. Um, I think there was also a story about one of the security guards um, who got the training. And they had said, you know, there's, there's a part of the training about um, explaining that, you know, if somebody is leaning on stuff and knocking stuff over, it could be a vestibular uh, problem. It could be a, a lack of balance and just needing to touch stuff for spatial awareness. And um, like that guard uh, told us that that made night and day, you know, they could, they could think back on patrons they had not handled correctly. And this made, you know, this was the missing puzzle piece. So I, th I, I think in general, people are just unaware of invisible disabilities. And I think people are naturally compassionate and empathetic enough that once you're aware of it, it's, it, it's automatic, you know? So I, I think that's the other mission of Culture City is just yeah. raising awareness. I think actually on the family side, just to know that you're included, sometimes that's the only piece that you need, right? Because we certainly have had families or individuals that go and they never use any of the, they did, never needed the sensory bags or they didn't need the headphone or they didn't need the safe. And then we would have venue reach out and say, well, it doesn't seem like they need it. So why do we need all these things, right? But the key is that just knowing that it's there for them to use it should they need it. And the fact that they're included and they're accepted, like nobody's staring at them funny. They understand why they're doing this thing. They understand the leaning is not because of them being, you know, difficult, whatever. I think that peace alone gives families and individuals who are impacted so much peace and comfort and courage and the strength that you need to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the concert today and I'm going to go enjoy the music because I can and people want me there. I think that's such a huge piece. It really is. And just to, like you said, that comfort level of having that safety net to fall back on, just just increasing that awareness and that education is so important. And the fact that you're able to certify, um, let, let's talk about how an organization becomes certified and what kinds of things do the staff look for? You, you mentioned a couple of things there, but how has that process been? I mean, it, it seems to me from what Daniel said there, they're just, they just feel so much more empowered. Yeah, you know, it reminds me, uh, and uh, Fletch, you were on this call, this person who, um, this was actually the uh, police uh, training and the chief of uh, police uh, said that for them, it wasn't just a checkbox. It wasn't just something that they had to do. 
Um, and when they did go through the training, they immediately just realized that this was going to be more than just something that just has to sit and listen, but it really affected how they engage with um, the people that were around them and how it shaped how they do what they needed to do. So in terms of the, the training itself, you know, we break it down into several uh, segments. The first segment is really about you know, educating folks on what does it mean to have sensory sensitivity or sensory challenges? What does that look like? Because unless you know what it means or what it looks like, then you don't know. And so that's really the first step. And then after that, we go into, you know, why is it important for them to know, right? So we talked about how it is really, you know, used to be one in six, not one in five, one in four. It's very common. And when we do it in the room and you say, raise your hands if you know of someone or if you yourself have an invisible disability, it's amazing how many hands shoot up. And I think that impresses upon people like why this is important. And I think that's a big piece of it too, because unless you know the why, then it's this knowledge. But if you know the why, you make the connection with the stories and the people, and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, I can relate to like what Pletz just mentioned about that individual. I can get that. And so then you think about uncles and aunties and cousins and nephews and, and it all becomes somewhat personal, right? Because you can relate to the stories. And then after that, we teach them about, so now that you know what it looks like and why it's important, what can you do when you encounter someone with an invisible disability? So let's say they're flapping or they're covering the ears, you know, what does that mean? What are some of the tools that you can use? So we talk about, you know, the noise canceling headphone, the weighted lap pads, and then it's just as important as tools is about communication. How do you talk to them? You know, what are some of the best languages to use? Um, what are the cadences in, that you can you should use in, in, in the way that you talk to them? So really tangible, uh, very practical tips and tools that can they can use with them immediately uh, upon complete, completing the training. You showed it um, uh, on the website, you can find this, but a big piece of it too is uh, social stories. And so these are stories that uh, we will help the venue create or like if it's an Imagine Dragons concert, we will create a story specifically for them where it says, okay, you're gonna go to the Imagine Dragon concert. This is where it is. This is what it looks like. And so this is for the family and the individuals to read before they go so that uh, they, it's not a, in some ways, it's not a brand new experience for them. So it, it's been shown to alleviate anxiety and they, oh yeah, exactly like that. We're going to the Roger Center today when I arrive, you know, what the security look like. Uh, and then they also tell them, okay, these are where the bags are. So finding my seat, if it gets too loud, these are the resources that you can uh, do. And so this has been super powerful too and really useful for both the venues or the event or, the, you know, if it's a concert like the band as well as for the family because it kind of tells it out to them with a visual cue uh, as well. Yeah, and I know that in other podcasts I've done, um, for instance, about self-reg is a, a program that's in Canada about self-regulation where when they're training people often, and we do this in DIR floor time too, the people who are being trained need to understand that experience themselves first. So they'll fill out a sensory processing checklist themselves. They'll understand what makes me dysregulated. So everyone can relate to wearing a picky woolly sweater or having your tag poke you in the back of, you know, those are types of things. Um, I cannot eat any foods that have overwhelming smells. I have a very sensitive sense of smell. Um, other people 
will feel sick if things are moving too fast, they get dizzy. It's different things, but when you relate it to regular experiences that everyone has and just explain that it's a little bit more intensified and a little bit, maybe looks a little bit different in other people, then it really helps them understand and have that compassion as well. And the other thing is just describing the different types. So it's just not autistic kids, but you talked about PTSD and other situations. Um, you know, it's basically anyone with an invisible disability, which um, really encompasses a huge spectrum of individuals and age. And so we see little kids all the way to, you know, young uh, children to middle-aged adults to uh, older uh, elderly uh, individuals because you know you can have autism and you can have sensory needs you can have OCD and you can have sensory needs you can have down syndrome and have sensory needs you can have PTSD dementia uh, Alzheimer's uh, seizure disorder uh, you know a lot of this different sort of medical diagnosis carries a component of sensory uh, sensitivity to them you can have a stroke and have a sensory need and so it really is a big slice of our community and i think this is why it is so important because imagine if this entire group of people don't participate in what we do on a daily basis i mean we're missing out we're missing out that they're not part of us and they're missing out because they're not part of us you know and so i think you know we really have to think of it as our society is not whole until everyone is able to engage yeah and and I, I mean, I'll ask you your opinion about this too, Daniel, that sometimes it's easy for people to say, oh, come on, it'll be fine, just do this. But really getting that training makes you understand that they're literally not able to make that shift if it overwhelms them and they go into fight or flight. Yeah, I, I think the concept of a sensory crisis is like ineffable to to people who are unaware of it, you know, like if you don't know what that looks like, if you don't, if you, if you are unaware of at least conceptually what it would feel like to be in a sensory, like you were saying with the tags on the back, like everyone's had an example of a sensory crisis, like uh, pain <laughs> is a sensory crisis, right? So like when you, when it's explained like, no, that flashing light is, is like pain, actual pain. It, suddenly it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course they can't go. You know, uh, this reminds me, this was a couple years ago, and this was a reporter, and um, she actually asked, so we were doing the sensory work, and she actually asked me, and she said, I don't understand, why would they want to come to this concert? It was a musical, it was a music fest, and she said, I don't understand, why would they want to come to this music fest? when they know that they are super sensitive to sound and this music fest is so loud and crowded with people why would they want to come they should just not come and to me that question was so eye-opening because she just made an assumption that they don't want to they should not come and they don't want to come because of their barriers but so then i posed to her but it doesn't mean that they don't love the music they love the dragons just as much they want to come see you play plants and but just they cannot because the resources and the and the and the, you know, the infrastructure is not there. But if we can provide it to them and tell them, hey, it's safe. You can come. We want you to come. Here are some headphones if you need it. And if you want to exit and take a moment's break, here you go, and you can come back. They would come, right? But just the way that she asked me that question just made me realize that it truly needed a shift in how we um, how we viewed this 
this problem and why this mission of inclusion was important. Yeah, and it goes beyond, you know, live music. Like, imagine if you didn't feel safe going to the library. Yeah. Like, uh, or, or the, you know, the DMV or, you know, the aquarium, like we, we've got a bunch of qu aquariums on board and, you know, the idea that some, like to me, an aquarium is a tranquil, relaxing place, but the idea that, oh my goodness, maybe that's not what this is to other people. And, yeah. you know, we, we should do something about this. So it, yeah. the more, it, it's one of those things that started with a very, in my mind, started with like, oh, live music, this makes sense. And then it just, I realized I need, like the macro view is like, this applies to everything. Wow. And going back to what you said earlier, Daniel, that, you know, majority of people are very understanding and compassionate if there's a reason for it. And it, sometimes it's just them needing to understand that reason. So some, a lot of people might have that same feeling like the reporter said, but then uh, usually when you educate and describe the situation, they're like, oh, okay, I didn't even realize that. I didn't even think about it. And thus circling back to the importance of that uh, education, moving from awareness to acceptance and then full inclusion. Yeah, and to uh, what Pletz is saying, it really is, I mean, grocery stores, uh, you know, small things like grocery stores, barber stores, uh, um, or, or salons, uh, you know, museums, zoos, schools, uh, airports, uh, events. I mean, if you can think of a place that's public, that place would need <laughs> such level of understanding if you think about it, right? Yeah. Now let's get into the topic of schools because that's where a lot of kids spend the majority of their time. And that's why I hear a lot of horror stories from parents about schools really not understanding the sensory uh, issues that different kids have. How, how much have you worked with schools and how has that gone so far? Yeah, um, you know, with schools, what we do is we try to work with their um, um, all the, the individual schools uh, directly. And so, for instance, we've certainly put um, a lot of uh, sensory rooms actually in schools. And again, uh, the idea being that this is a safe space that the kids can go to decompress and then go back out to their regular classroom. Uh, we've also um, actually designed um, and piloted and it's, it's, it's performed very well. It's a mobile sensory station where it's essentially a, uh, it's got a bubble tube in it. It's got wands of light. Uh, it makes certain uh, noises that can calm it and soothe. And we use this and we give it to family because a lot of, especially with the pandemic now, a lot of the schooling happens at home. And so in trying to create a safe space within the home that the child can then use um, as sort of their calm down space. So the mobile sensory station has also been uh, very, very uh, integral to helping create safe spaces in uh, different environments. And I did want to point out that you guys have a mobile app as well. So this is the, the home landing page of the mobile app that people can download on their phone. Um, you can look up sensory certified locations and, and what does it involve when you suggest a sensory location? What, what happens on your end? Because that venue may not have thought of it and may not yeah. even be interested. No, I think it's fantastic when people use that function because as you say, there's 
a thousand, a million, you know, one location. And so, for instance, Daria, if you suggested a location and you put it in there, our team will get the information. And then what it allows us to do is that we then know, oh, this location exists because we may not know it existed. And then we can then reach out or have a, a, a communication with that location to start talking about how to make them sensory inclusive. Have you ever come across um, organizations I mean, I guess there's a range. You probably come across organizations that are like, absolutely bring it on and others that are like, oh, you know, we'll think about it and are more hesitant. You know, we're, um, I think the mission has translated so well uh, in the sense that, you know, people truly understand what this mission is about and why it's important that it's been once where they reach out to us and say, hey, we want to be trained. Um, I think before when we first started um, this initiative, it was one where we had to go out because we had to show them why this is important, what this is about. Uh, we started uh, with the NBA, uh, with uh, Cleveland, uh, and then from there it went to a lot of the other uh, sporting um, um, avenues, uh, venues, and then from their music and so forth. But I think you know once you have that sort of uh, core. Um, and momentum, then now it's more, you know, people coming and saying, hey, we want this. And then it's then falls on us to be able to meet the demand and to um, uh, meet all of the demands, actually, the demands of, of the of the sensory inclusive work. So I'm really curious about how when you got started, how did you get funded and and be able to raise the money to do all of the types of things that you've been able to do? Certainly. Daniel's band's been a part of that at the Culture City Ball every year, raising money. Um, it, has it, I mean, I imagine once people hear about it, like you said, the ball gets rolling. Uh, out of every sports team, professional sports team, there's probably somebody who has an autistic child or somebody who has sensitivities um, in one way or another. Uh, so when we first started uh, Culture City uh, seven years ago, we had a group of uh, individuals that were uh, angel donors that said, you know what, we believe in this cause, we wanna do this. And so we were able then to immediately, you know, start the initiative and do the work without um, having to do a lot of sort of uh, grassroots fundraising. Because if you look, a lot of uh, nonprofits, they have an idea and they wanna do something, but then because the finances lag, they spend the first three years fundraising before they can even, you know, do the project. We were fortunate in that in the beginning, we had uh, this group of uh, angel donors, as I mentioned, and then from there, immediately, we were able to start the initiative. And from there, the impact became what sold the story and the mission, because the impact showed itself in the sense of how many families impacted, how many lives saved, you know, all the stories, all the testimonials, those then become the motivating factor, not just for our team, I think, but for the people to support uh, the mission. And Daniel, how has your experience been with the Culture City Ball every year? Oh, Culture Ball is a great time. Highly recommend it. 10 out of 10 stars. Um, <laughs> Yeah, each year it's a little different, but it's always very special. Uh, this year, we uh, the Imagine Dragons performed, and it was actually one of the first performances we did after a very long break. I mean, COVID extended that break, but um, you know, uh, it was it was a very special show, and uh, there was a lot of fun energy there. And uh, yeah, it, it, Culture Ball each year involves a, a, a performance of some. It's kind of like a, a multi-day event, like. <laughs> 
there's uh there's a lot going on in Birmingham uh and um you know we'll see where culture ball will uh what what it will evolve to but uh it's 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 a raucous good time for a good cause this year yeah. is especially special because uh your band played that's gonna be a hard one to uh to top uh We'll, fi we'll figure something out for next year. There you go. <laughs> gonna, you don't have we'll to figure prepare, out where right? to top it. I know so. you're worried, but you have to block that name. You do know that, right? <laughs> other yeah, famous bands, <laughs> other famous bands out there listening, if you want to That's perform right. at Culture, Culture, Culture Ball. Ball. A great show, great people. <laughs> yeah, and it must just be great to know that you're having that impact as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, not to mention uh, the origins of Imagine Dragons as a Vegas band that was playing on the strip, you know, in the casinos for crowds of people that were not there to see Imagine Dragons. I think there's always something special. There's like a special fire lit inside uh, playing for a crowd of people that are not necessarily all there to see you and that you have to win them over. So there, there's always a little more fun, uh, fun energy in those kinds of shows. I mean, obviously playing for a crowd of people that came to see you and love you is amazing. <laughs> it's a different kind of fire. But um, yeah, like, um, you know, and, and also playing acoustic where you don't have the luxury of your instruments being extremely loud and you have to actually kind of be that presence. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I do want to point out that you did the iHeartRadio album release party and and I happened to catch it on your Twitter like right before it started. So I watched the whole thing and it really it was one of my first experiences listening to imagine dragons because i'm old and unhip i'm out of the loop i haven't been listening to radio that much and to hear uh the songs that you played you guys are such all accomplished musicians so it was really nice to hear that before i then went and listened to all the albums because it it really was um it it, oh. it just exacerbated the experience for the positive Thank you so much. And I touched on this at the beginning, but but in, in all seriousness, especially in the thick of doing a lot of touring and doing a lot of uh, pr promo, talking about the music that we wrote uh, across the board, doing something for Culture City, doing stuff for Love Loud, the Tyler Robinson Foundation, the, the band started, which which helps families dealing with pediatric cancer, like anything we do for a good cause genuinely makes us feel good like so much better than when we're out there just promoting ourselves. And um, to be able to take the platform that we have and uh, point it away from ourselves and at a good cause, it, it, it always makes us feel great. So. Well, I think that's why you have so many fans as well, because they see that you guys are awesome, good-hearted people as well. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> And uh, before we run out of time, I definitely want to get to um, Michelle. You have a pseudo side project, which I don't know if that's the appropriate word, but Casey Fit. I oh, want to hear yeah. about Casey Fit. I was Fit. wondering where you were going with that. Like, <laughs> oh, this is my side project. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see that it, it um, you know, I, I always have loved doing different kinds of sporting events. So my next bucket list is to do a full marathon, which I've never done. And I saw that you have the New York City Marathon coming up November 7th. And I'm not kidding. I actually Googled how long does it take to train for a full marathon? And I was like, Ugh, I really haven't exercised at all during the whole pandemic. I don't think I can be ready by November 7th, but it's in my list for the future to do nice. um, some kind of marathon uh, to help do you guys out. Next year. 
Yeah. So I'm going on without even telling the listeners what KC Fit is. So why don't you tell us about it? Um, so KC Fit was actually born out of. Um, <laughs> so it's an interesting story. So this was in 2016, and um, we were uh, running Boston Marathon. And Tiki Barber, who uh, is a really great friend, he's a runner, and I had just started running. And so I said, you know, who can run Boston with me? And I thought, oh, Tiki, he runs. Okay, fine, let's run together. And so the both of us went up to Boston in April of 2016, and he had ran uh, one marathon beforehand. This I had never, like, um, so I had just started kind of running in 2015. But anyway, so 2016, we both went up to Boston and we started running. And initially it was fine. We were chatting and it was all like, you know, easy peasy, whatever. But by mile 20, 20 we were all literally like dying. And we were like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what are we doing? And that was where the idea of KC Fit came out. Because then we started thinking about all the families that we were running for. So we raised quite a bit of money through that Boston Marathon that both of us did for Culture City. And we started thinking about, and so we started naming people like, okay, think about that kid. All right, we're going to dedicate this we didn't even go one mile to one kid. We were like, we need this two minutes for one kid because we were really like struggling. And so we did that and we finished in about five hours, which was long, um, but we crossed that line and we felt both so good and so empowered because we knew that every step that we took was for a child, was for an individual, was and we named them and it just felt really good. And that was where the idea of Casey Fit was born in that we can use athleticism, whether it's cycling, biking, lifting, swimming, and use that not just to, you know, to make, you know, for not just for the sport, but use that truly as a platform to talk about Culture City. Why am I running 26.2 miles? Not because I'm crazy, but because I'm doing it for a cause. I'm doing it for, you know, John. I'm doing it for Annie. And then use it as a way to uh, fundraise for uh, for Culture City. And so since 2016, uh, so that was the, so Boston really was the birth of KC Fit. Since then, every year, so that year in November of 2016, that was our first uh, KC Fit team that we put together. And then every year since then, we've had a team uh, for New York City Marathon. Uh, we've done Big Sur, Boston, Chicago, um, and a lot of the other um, uh, marathons throughout the country. But New York is our marquee marathon that we do every year. So we have 19 people this year and our goal, and we will reach the goal. Uh, our goal is to raise about 150,000 uh, amongst all the runners for uh, Coach City. And so uh, next year we'll have another team and we would love for you to be part of it. As we're, we're recording this, we're right in the season of Terry Fox in Canada, who's one of the most well-known Canadians who, who had a prosthetic leg and was uh, set to run across the country when he, he uh, passed away from his cancer during that mission. But every year it's the Terry Fox run around this time of the year. And so he's always been a hero of mine. And I have uh, the Canadian loony, which is a dollar, um, did a, a picture of him on it and I, I made it into a necklace and I wore it during my half marathons and it it really you know inspired me to finish if I started to feel icky so I'll do the same thing <laughs> I'll, I'll work my way up to a marathon I can't commit to November of next year at this time but we'll see <laughs> oh it's a record I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the segment Daria sent it to me and then a year from now I'll be like what remember you said this <laughs> I said I will do one eventually I'm, well, I'll I'll my goal is next year I will, <laughs> my goal is next year 
I will send it to you every year. To you know how Daria said she she needs a little more training. I think I need like twenty four more months of training to get ready for a marathon. <laughs> That's fair. You know, yep. you'd be it's surprised. So you'd be surprised how quickly you can build up um, the stamina. It's just a matter of making sure you don't get injured. That's the biggest thing. So uh, slow. Just think and, about all the food and drinks. Yeah, dr drumming has always been my extreme sport. <laughs> Absolutely. If anybody watches the videos, uh. Yeah, you can see that is Maybe I could definitely... do a drum marathon. I could drum for the entire length oh, of a marathon. That would be oh my goodness. some metric of, of drum strokes to miles. <laughs> you could set a Guinness World Record for drumming. We're, oh, we have yeah. all kinds of ideas uh, starting up in this podcast that we have to <laughs> make oh, sure happen. <laughs> yes. Speaking of that... Save the good stuff for the end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Didn't I see on the website something about uh, you guys set a record? Michelle and I now yeah. it's yeah. what was it full record so this was last year and we said you know what we got to do something fun and cool that will motivate people uh, this was at the height of the pandemic nobody was going outside everybody was socially distanced and just feeling very lonely and so we, we said you know what we're gonna break the record for the number of people that runs a 5k simultaneously and we broke the record that's right virtually yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, so we had everybody. We had Germany, France, uh, Brazil, uh, obviously the United States and Canada. Everybody called in the same time. And you had to be timed so that I would count down like three, two, one. And once we, so you have to be stationary. You cannot be moving. And once you say go is when you move. If you move too fast before you said go, it doesn't count because it has to be simultaneous. So it was fun. It was fun. That's really awesome. Well, do you have any last words, Daniel? Culture City, check it out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Michelle, did you want to say anything else? And just for listeners to know, um, I will be putting links to lots of different Culture City YouTube videos and, and things that we've all talked about in this podcast. So listeners can go to the blog post at affectautism.com, Culture City with a K, and you'll find links to all of these resources. I guess I'll just say that, you know, this cause is obviously near and dear to my heart because of our personal journey. But at the same time, you know, we cannot do this alone. And it's only when every single one of us, you know, stand up for our neighbor, our friend, you know, that somebody else that we can truly affect change and make this happen for our world and for the next generations to come. And we have to, we have to do it. And one of the most moving videos was the um, making nevers possible video that you did. Yeah, really giving people the opportunities that they were told they would never have. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Michelle Kong. Thank you so much, Daniel Platzman from Imagine Dragons. It's been wonderful to talk about Culture City. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential.